In case you all needed more than your intuition to tell you that Oklahoma's offense is not quite right, I dug deep into the numbers, and here's what I found. This is the worst Sooners offensive performance through three games since Lincoln Riley arrived on campus before the 2015 season. Now, if you look at the raw data, points, yards, yards per play, third down conversions, and explosive plays, this season actually compares in a lot of ways to the 2015 and 2016 Oklahoma Sooners, the first two years of Baker Mayfield. Now, for example, the 2021 Sooners, guided by Spencer Rattler, are averaging more yards through three games than Mayfield Sooners in 2016. The current OU team has also scored more points and is better on third down than Baker Sooners back in 2016. However, as we all know, stats don't always tell us all the important details. You all are aware how 2016 started for Oklahoma. Two of the Sooners' first three games were against Houston and Ohio State, a pair of top 15 teams. Needless to say, OU's competition was a bit tougher back then compared to 2021. How about 2015? The 2021 Sooners are scoring more points through three games than the 2015 Sooners in Lincoln Riley's first year as the offensive coordinator. This year's team is also better on third down. And both teams had the same amount of explosive plays through three games. I count an explosive play as anything 20 yards or more. But once again, if you look at the competition in 2015 compared to 2021, it's different. OU played a top 25 Tennessee team on the road in 2015, and that Sooners club did not face any FCS schools. It's not necessary to even talk about 2017 through 2019. Those three years produced insane offensive numbers for Oklahoma in its first three games. Not surprising when you go from Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray to Jalen Hurts. The Spencer Rattler era began last season with FCS Missouri State. And the current season also included an FCS school, Western Carolina. Now, I decided that in order to get a more accurate representation of all the numbers over the years, that I would take one game out and then calculate. The one game, obviously, would be the weakest opponent each team faced. Once I did that, it became crystal clear the extent to which this Oklahoma offense is trailing other offenses of the Lincoln-Riley era adjusted for competition. Sure, in 2016, OU's numbers against Houston and Ohio State weren't very good. Just 23 points per game and 400 yards per game. The current Oklahoma offense has better numbers than that, but not by much. Against Tulane and Nebraska, the Sooners have averaged 31 points and 419 yards per game. You think that 2016 offense would have fared a little bit better than that? I do. And aside from those two metrics... The 2016 offense exceeds the 2021 offense in every other category. 6.2 yards per play compared to just 5.8 this season. 44% on third downs in 2016, just 39% on third down here in 2021. And against two top 15 teams, that 2016 OU offense had 11 explosive plays. Against Tulane and against Nebraska combined, the Sooners offense this year Manage just nine explosive plays. Finally, a look at quarterback. Through three games in 2016, Baker Mayfield averaged 9.7 yards per attempt. By the end of the year, he was at 11.1. That's awesome. Heck, 9.7 is also pretty awesome. Trevor Lawrence never had that many yards per attempt in a single season at Clemson. That brings me to Spencer Rattler. 
By the end of the 2020 season, last year, Rattler's average yards per attempt was 9.6, a great number. Again, Trevor Lawrence, he never got there. His highest was 9.4. Justin Fields' highest was 9.3. Rattler absolutely pushed the ball down the field in 2020. And through the first three games of last year, his average yards per attempt was 11.6, higher than Baker Mayfield's in 2015 and 2016 in the first three games. But in 2021, Rattler is not pushing the ball down the field. Get this, just 7.8 yards per attempt, nearly two full yards fewer than last season and almost four full yards fewer than at this time last year. Rattler's got to figure it out or else this is going to turn into another frustrating Oklahoma football season where we all are left wondering, why do we always think it's going to be different this time? I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. We're back with another episode. Quick turnaround here this week. OU begins Big 12 play this Saturday under the lights against West Virginia. We shall see if the Mountaineers have the Sooners' attention. Joining me to talk Sooners football today, a man who once ate Raising Cane's chicken fingers 23 days in a row and then never ate it again, Grant Benson. First of all, that's not true. I think probably the most I've <laughs> I ever... I, I've, I think I the most I've true. ever ate it in a row is pro- probably like a week, probably seven days in a row. That well, was definitely... That was definitely when we lived in Norman. Um, although I, I haven't said this on the podcast though, but my senior year at the University of Minnesota, there there was a raising canes there too. I got food poisoning from canes, and I didn't have it after that for about three years. But I am happy to report since then, I'm all on the canes train, baby. It's back. It's better than ever, and I love it. Uh, yeah. So does Spencer Rattler, big raising canes spokesperson. Uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later. I know that wasn't true, but I wanted to just say something outlandish and stupid at the start because I couldn't think of anything else to introduce you with. So, uh, But also, I like talking about Raising Cane's because it's a great product. It's delicious. I wish I could eat it. I mean, I could eat it every day, 100%. I could eat that every day. I could eat Taco Bell every day. I could eat pizza every day. I could eat ice cream every day. Ooh, cookie cake every day. Oh, cookie take, co- cookie people- cake. That's an elite take. That's the best take you've ever and the, had. And the th- yeah and the thing is people always say like oh come on you couldn't do it every day yeah i could yeah i could i uh and at some point maybe maybe when i just give up on life i will so take that take that haters i've eaten cookie cake uh, about we four doing? days in a row before yeah <laughs> all right what are we doing here uh let's let's get into oklahoma football let's get news and notes here things we've learned since the last podcast which is only a couple of days ago but we were talking about uh you know injuries a little bit and Billy Bowman obviously missed the Nebraska game. So did Woody Washington. Danny Stutzman was out as well. And so we have some updates on all three of those defensive players going into this week against West Virginia. Uh, one of them sounds good. Billy Bowman expected to play against West Virginia. Uh, so hopefully we don't see Justin Broyles playing, you know, 50 to 60 snaps this Saturday against West Virginia. Billy Bowman, hopefully he is back. Uh, it sounds like he is. Uh, Lincoln Riley said he's expected to be back. Woody Washington, though, and I mentioned this the other night, that I've heard some rumblings that it's not good for Woody Washington. Lincoln Riley confirmed on Tuesday that Woody is going to miss significant time, uh, but he is expected to return at some point this year. I don't know what that means. We'll see. Is that for a bowl game? Is that for a potential playoff run? Or if that's at all, I don't know. Again, I have not heard 
I have not heard many good things about Woody's injury uh, or the reason why it's it's an injury. And uh, that's a big blow, Grant. Uh, you know, Oklahoma, I was questioning Oklahoma's depth in the secondary. Uh, but uh, real quick, though, I'll throw in Danny Stutzman. Riley said on his radio show on Tuesday night that Stutzman is close, and if he's not ready by this week, then he should be ready shortly after that. So the Stutzman news is a little bit better. Uh, obviously, a lot better than the Woody Washington news. But uh, So obviously, the Billy Bowman stuff's good. Stutzman sounds like it's getting a little bit better. But man, Woody Washington being out for a significant amount of time, obviously not the greatest news. What do you think, Grant? No, not good at all. He is arguably the best defensive back on the team, and... Uh, I've been told that you need those in college football, especially in 2021. So, no, that's not good. I guess if you do, if you do kind of want to put a shine on it, um, I, that means we're going to see a lot more of Latrell McCutcheon. So, you know, hopefully that there's some development that happens there. I've actually really liked what I've seen from McCutcheon, you know, so far. He's made mistakes, obviously, but he's making mistakes very fast. He's playing with his hair on fire, and I like that. So, um, obviously, I think we're going to see a lot more of him moving forward and of course along with DJ Graham and, and Jaden Davis. Justin Harrington and and Eaton, uh, Josh Eaton, I don't know. They're MIA. Yeah, I was gonna say Eaton is kind of the guy where this is it for him. I mean, he's got a great spot because it seems like he's been playing a decent amount of snaps, almost maybe more than McCutcheon here and there. Yeah, yeah. He has so, been I, I have seen him out there a handful of times. So this is it for him. I mean this is like the time like he's one of those guys that was pretty highly recruited. We were excited about because of his length coming in, playing corner. Let's see what he's got. Can he separate? Can he give you know give himself a shot to be on the field there with DJ Graham at corner and usurp Jaden Davis or you know make it to where it's he's out there with uh, you know in the rotation. I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. And obviously, yeah, I, I want to see how McCutcheon fares. Uh, but yeah, the the whole Harrington talk in the offseason seems like it was a whole lot of smoke because he has not played any meaningful snaps this year, from what I can tell. If there's ever going to be a chance for him to get out there, it's now. But he didn't do really anything at all against Nebraska for what I, what I saw, and that was a game where Woody was out. So, yeah, it's it's week to week with these guys. And Alex Grinch said, you know, when it came to Woody Washington, he mentioned those four players that you mentioned, McCutcheon, Davis, DJ Graham, and Eaton as the four that are going to be there to help out. But he also referenced how last year at this time, Woody Washington was still playing safety and then they moved him to corner, so they moved guys around last year. He also said that at this time last season that Trey Norwood was still repping at corner a lot, and then, of course, he ended up playing a lot more nickel. The, you know, the, the, the implication being that Alex Grinch, in his secondary, he wants to put the five best guys on the field, no matter where they're coming from. So even though there's not a whole lot of depth, we can tell at the safety spot, I in theory, people can move around if he decides that there's other players that can play corner, I guess, to help out with Woody Washington out. But I just don't know who else you would move down there at this point. So it, it's got to be the corners that we know to be corners. And if they move somebody to corner from safety, that would be a, a pretty big shock, right? I can't, I couldn't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who it would like, who it would be if they did that. Um, I don't know. We think yeah, we I saw either. I mean, we saw DTY play some nickel against Western Carolina, and they didn't play a single snap there on against Nebraska. Pretty much that was Justin Broyles essentially the entire time. Um, who knows what's going to happen? I, I have At this point in time, it's kind of just like <laughs> shrug your shoulders, sort of put your palms up and be like, eh, we'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, speaking of nickel, Alex Grinch said that there's a lot of 
there's a lot of players that can vie for that position. I'm trying to find the log right now so I can go through it. I mean, obviously, Cradell and Bowman and Justin Broyles and DeLarian Turner. Yell. I think that's it. Yeah, DeLarian Turner yell. So weirdly, the nickel position is a spot where they're throwing a lot of different players at it. I mean, Bowman's the main guy at this point. It sounds like Cradell may have had some time away. Maybe he was injured or uh, rumblings of potentially COVID. So maybe he had missed some time. Maybe that's why he's behind a little bit. So, you know, kind of ragging on him a little bit last podcast maybe it's just because he has not been available to practice uh okay so if that's the case then best case scenario he's back he can practice more and then he can contribute uh, but i don't know I, I i mean a big part of just anything in sports is just availability and so far he has not been available for the most part this year whether or not he's it's because of an injury or something else or they just don't think he's ready to be on the field anyway yeah so the nickel position Delarian Turner Yell playing there, but not playing. That seems like a, a, a long shot to me because they need him back there in the safety spot because they're so thin, it seems like. Hmm. The defense is quite interesting, but fortunately, up front, man, they are strong, strong, strong. So I want to talk about this a little bit. Lincoln Riley on Tuesday. Yeah, I, I didn't pull the sound. I did pull some Spencer Rattler sound from today on, on Wednesday. We're recording. We'll play that here in a little bit. But Lincoln Riley's message to his team, it seems to be, one, you know, inside these walls, we feel like we're a lot closer than maybe a lot of people think to figuring it out and playing better. And this is something we've heard from Lincoln Riley a lot before and something that you've you talked about in the last podcast, that he, he's had some slow-starting teams, and they can't improve, they can get better. Sure, and you're right about that. you got some good examples. But I thought it was kind of interesting, his message to his team, because Spencer Rattler then repeated this today, so this is clearly what he's been telling his offense, and maybe not just his offense, but maybe the entire team, is that it's not like a situation where everybody on the roster needs to get a whole lot better. Lincoln says that we just need everybody to get a little bit better, and then we're going to be there. We're going to be good. We're going to be a lot better. And, and maybe it's not a big deal, but the, the thought of just telling people, telling the guys that they just need to be a little bit better because like, they're so close, in a weird way, I kind of think that's, is that limiting your potential growth? Because if, if these guys, like if they're as close as Riley says they are, I think they should be doing a lot better offensively and a lot better defensively, right? Or am I overthinking this? What do you, what do you, uh, what's your take? I think you might be overthinking this just because this was Lincoln Riley speaking to the media. And so I, you know, I brought up that he said that in the past just because, you know, there's a track record of him saying that and then them, you know, improving as the season goes on. But I, I do think we can get into trouble a little bit, especially when Lincoln Riley is talking, if we read too much into it, just because he didn't have an honest bone in his body when he's talking to the media, like at all. Well, I don't know if that's true. I think he's pretty str- – I mean, yeah, th- there's definitely been examples where we can look back and like, okay, that – like, I mean, for example, I did that – I did a feature story on Austin Stogner before the season began on his comeback from his injury, and I was able to talk to his parents – and got a lot of details on what he went through. <laughs> and uh, I went back to the press conference after the Kansas game a season ago. And I I want to say Riley made it seem like Stogner was like day-to-day or like could potentially play the next game. And now what I, now what I know, that there was no way that was true because he was like in the hospital. Like he was not even anywhere near close to playing. So there's an example of a situation where yeah, that was, you know, the outside didn't know anything about Stogner's injury, and he kept it quiet because of uh, competition. 
and because he doesn't have to put on injury report. So in that sense, I get it. But when it comes to directly answering questions, I do think Lincoln Riley is very good at that. If you ask him a question, he's respectful. And he's going to answer it. Now, when it comes to injuries and stuff, I think he's being truthful and honest about this update about Bowman and, and Washington and Stutzman and stuff like that. I, I think so far this year, we haven't seen any examples of him maybe misleading on, on that. Uh, but anyway, I, I so that's my pushback of, I know you're kind of joking a little bit when you say he doesn't have an honest bone in his body when he's talking to the media. But since, you know, I, I'm in the media and I get to ask questions of Lincoln Riley, I, I do feel like I need to defend him a little bit because I do think he actually does a very nice job of being respectful and directly answering our questions, which I think you've noticed that as well. I just wanted to push back a little bit. Nope, I disagree with 100% of what you just said. Ah, All of it is wrong. Yeah, you son. Ah, I can't believe it. Just derailing this conversation. Uh, embrace debate indeed. But actually, I mean, to, to, talk, to, you know, to talk on the substance of what you were talking about, yeah, I mean, I, I do kind of agree with you. If you're just saying that you need to get a little bit better, I mean, that's, that's a whole lot of room for growth that you're just kind of eliminating there with your rhetoric. But also at the same time, I, I you know, I, I, it probably is too much to just kind of read into it just because I do think for the most part that these, these kids want to get better. They want to be as, as good as they possibly can be. And I don't know if they take it as literally as, ah, oh, it just needs to be a little bit because there's, yeah. there's context missing there. It could, be, it could be like, we just need to be a little bit better as a team altogether. Or like there's, we're running this play and there's just one aspect of it that's just a little bit off. And if we get better you know, we can get there. I, I think that's probably what he's talking about and not necessarily, uh, you just, if you just work a little bit more and get to this one single point, you're good. And you don't ever have to improve again. I, he's not saying that. Yeah. And you're right. Cause he's made points in the past, especially talking about Spencer Rattler about how this, like, will he realize that where he thinks he needs to be, he needs to go even further than that. And, uh, at, at this point, it's a lot of evidence that no, he, he has not gotten to where he needs to be and he needs to play a lot better. And again, we'll talk about Rattler here in a little bit. Uh, but in terms of Lincoln Riley talking about Rattler, I'm just going through the log right now, looking for some interesting stuff. Uh, you know, Riley, he said that last year versus, versus this year. Let's see. I'm trying to. Sorry, I'm I'm reading as I'm trying to talk at the same time. He says it's hard to compare last year to this year. This is from Lincoln Riley on Tuesday, and he used the the reasoning because a lot of things are different. This, the skill positions are radically different. Uh, even some uh, some players are playing in different positions, like Marvin Mims, I guess, has changed positions. You know, and Jaden Hazelwood wasn't there last year. Both running backs are different, obviously. Uh, so that's different from, you know, Spencer Rattler's perspective. And even though I guess you can only do so much during the summer and the fall, maybe there's still some time and there's even in the games, there's still – a bit of getting used to all the different things. Okay, the the defensive things, uh, defensive schemes are more unique. Uh, he, Riley made the, the the comment that he doesn't see a whole lot, you know, as many bad defenses these days as he used to. And he's just talking in general terms in college football. And it's just defenses have evolved, and we've seen that in the Big Twelve. You mentioned that a lot before, Grant. How the Big Twelve defenses are so unique, and the defensive coordinators have to do things differently because it's so different in the Big Twelve. Uh, but but in terms of Spencer Rattler, he said that he's played good and, and, and he's he's close to playing a, a lot better. But you can also see every time he talks about Rattler, he's he's kind of searching for words because he knows that the talent's there. And this is me just opining. I think Rattler knows the talent's there. It's just he's trying to figure out a way to bring it out of him this season because it's not there. And go back to my opening take. 
it's it's pretty obvious, man. The stats are so different between this season for the first three games and last season for the first three games. And uh, boy, I have no idea what the point of any of that was, Grant. Do you want to jump in and save me from uh, myself? I mean, all I got to say is if, if Lincoln Riley has to work hard to get that out of Spencer Rattler, there's something wrong. Like, I, I don't, I, I guess that's just something I don't understand. Because it's, like, Lincoln Riley has said that. I remember that exact quote that you just, that you just referenced. Him saying, you know, can we get him to understand, you know, how much farther he needs to go from where he is? And I don't, I don't, I, I think there is mounting evidence that Spencer Rattler does not understand that. Well, I think that could lead us into the soundbite from today. So Rattler talked to the media today on Wednesday, September 22nd. And I pulled this soundbite because I found it to be interesting because he, you know, there's a lot of questions around him right now. And you know, I've defended him a lot more than a lot of people. And, and I'll still defend him because I still think he's got a lot of talent. But the last game, yeah, it was annoying to me, especially the, the main thing was him doing the same exact thing with that leak concept and making the same exact mistake as he did two weeks prior against Tulane. I could not believe he did the same exact thing. So uh, credit to Eddie Radosovich from Sooner Scoop. He jumped in and, and asked about the criticism he's taking and how he responds to all of that. I'm not going to put the first part of Eddie's question in, but you'll hear the second part of Eddie's question, a follow-up. Uh, but essentially the question is, how do you respond to all the criticism you're getting and you know, obviously, you're a player with all these high expectations. And how would you respond to everyone out there that are you know, questioning Spencer Rattler right now? Yeah, these people really don't know anything they're talking about. You know, they, they, they haven't played quarterback at a Power 5 program um, unless, you know, obviously some people have. And, and they, they know what it's like, you know, when these defenses come out. Uh, they know the type of schemes we run. But it really just comes down to just – playing ball and, and, and being cleaner. Like I said, taking away three throws a game, it'll make our offense a lot better. And, um, you know, I put that on myself. Obviously, I'm not, I haven't been playing to the ability or standard uh, that I would want to, but got to keep pushing, got to keep getting better. And, and your question about what I'm doing to fix that is just, uh, just trusting it and, um, you know, putting myself in those situations in practice. But the criticism, you know, it don't, it don't mean anything to me. Is it kind of one of those things, too, that like it's just a reminder that you do play at a big program and the spotlight's always going to be on you? And as far as like the NIL stuff and people saying that's a distraction, what, what would you say? Yeah, no, that, there, there isn't any distractions. It's straight football, and uh, that's, that's my focus. All right. Uh, if you couldn't hear it that well, Eddie's follow-up was about, you know, is, is this just like, a reminder that you're always constantly under a big spotlight because you're the quarterback at Oklahoma. And then also for those who want to know about the NIL being a possible distraction, how do you respond to that? And that was his, you know, his kind of quick answer at the end was like, no, there's no distraction. It's all football. So um, I, I will just say this. I, I'm not going to go into a bunch of details on this just because of where I am and just kind of what I have to do. I will just say simply, that's not a great soundbite by Spencer Rattler. And I'll leave it at that for now. I know you have some stronger thoughts because you're, you know, you bring kind of the fan perspective, the non-media perspective of this podcast. But for now, I'll leave it at that. 
And for me, it's the play on the field. As I laid out my opening take, the biggest thing is he's not pushing the ball down the field. And when you're done, or like, he did talk a little bit about why that's happening, why they're not pushing the ball down the field. And it's about what you would expect why. And we can talk about that here in a little bit. But I'll shut up and I'll let you react to that Spencer Rattler soundbite. Yeah, I mean, the, the opening of that soundbite is really bad. It's, it's really bad. Um, just a, a really quick word of advice. Don't ever, don't ever criticize the fans or say that about the fans. Don't, don't ever do that, especially in a situation where you don't have to be Bill Belichick to see that you're not playing well. And, you know, I, um, it's, I, what, I, what I think is happening there is right at the beginning of that clip, I think Spencer Rattler is speaking candidly and from the heart I do and then you can see him recover later on and then say the canned lines that he thinks he's supposed to say um like I like I said just like I said right before you talked there's mounting evidence that OU starting quarterback is a big freaking knucklehead (laughs) big time and I guess you know it's it's probably not fair to go any further than that um let's see what happens against West Virginia but again mounting evidence that he does not get it at all all right so he was asked about you know his lack of downfield shots and you know it talked about it they've only had nine explosive plays this year against nebraska and tulane combined Uh, that's the fewest they've had in the first three games against you know fbs teams since lincoln riley has been here and rattler said that the teams know what they like to do on offense they have guys that can that can get down the field they you know then he said and I don't have the sound for this, but it, it's kind of similar to what you just heard from uh, from Spencer Rattler. He said that you know a lot of people don't understand what defenses are trying to do against us. They're taking away deep shots, so we stay underneath and then rally to the football. And he said, Oklahoma, we can put ourselves in the situations, you know, with a game plan and a scheme. And he he continually said today on Wednesday that the game plan for this week against West Virginia, they have a great game plan. He seems very confident in his game plan. He says they're going to be sharpening it up. They're going to try to go through walk through get even more sharper on thursday and he'll try to check it down to his guys give him the football and just play a lot cleaner so my first initial thought when i hear check down to my guys get the ball out to my to uh, check the ball down to my guys get it out play cleaner i i think back to the two lane game and then nebraska game that the the first pick and then the ball that almost was picked that i just referenced five minutes ago those two situations were where he should have checked down to the running back and Oklahoma would have picked up a pretty good amount of yards. Okay, I'll give him a pass for the first time. It was game one. That play works a lot. He didn't take Tulane seriously. He thought, that's ah, going to work. Fine. Game two or game three, when the exact same thing happens again against Nebraska, that bothers me. Why didn't you learn and why didn't you start checking down then? Why does it take another game for you to kind of figure it out? And it sounds like now that's his, his thought going into this game, which – now makes me even more concerned about downfield shots because if he's in his, his mind, the downfield shots are never there, he's going to keep Deacon and Duncan. And it's almost like in 2020, there was never that thought process. Teams have played Oklahoma defensively the same way for years. I mean, they know Lincoln Riley's offense, and, and Rattler was able to take shots down the field. Again, the first three games last year, yeah, one was against Missouri State, but he played against Kansas State. He played against Iowa State. He was averaging over 11 and a half yards per attempt. That's really, really good. That's awesome. So I, 
it's almost like at this point, I am concerned that he is thinking too much and that he is not seeing it on the field. And I hope for improvement, but against a West Virginia defense that Spencer Rattler has never seen before because they didn't play last year, this will be interesting. I guess, man, you got you to gotta take your hats off to Tulane and Nebraska for thinking of playing deep zone coverage. I can't believe no one has ever thought of doing that against Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray or Joe Burrow or Mac Jones last year. I can't believe no one's ever thought of that or do that against Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. That's his, his, his answer at all was gobbledygook. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's very concerning. The fact that he actually said check down in the interview. Ugh, yikes, guys. Yikes. And again, I, uh, I'm going to try to leave this to everything that's on the field. Uh, but I, I will say, because this is on the field and something that he said as is, is well today, uh, Stu Mandel was asking questions, and I know a lot of you probably know Stu Mandel. I know you do, Grant. I, I don't listen to his podcast anymore, but I, I used to, and I haven't read him. I have nothing against him. I just, you know, I, he's a national guy, and he was asking the question about, hey, you know, what's it been like going from last season to all this Heisman hype to number one pick hype, you know, how do you, and, and Spencer's been asked that before, so he, he knew what he was, you know, he, he, he had a pretty much a canned answer for that. And he said he hasn't played up to his best yet. And he says it's, it's coming, um, but, you know, we all got to play better, including myself. And, and he's right about that. Uh, and then Stu asked him, you know, have you been able to identify anything that you need to work on and get better at, which is a good follow up. And so Spencer said, hey, you know, if I take away two to three throws per game, then I'm good to go. It's that simple. Need to see these guys dropping into these zones, trying to take away our threats and take what they're giving me. I know how to do that, and I'm ready to do it. So my, my thing is, again, I've been defending Spencer Rattler quite a bit, and there is a world in which you could make the argument that it's two to three per game. There really is. But my issue with him for the first three games goes back to my thing that I've just been harping on for the last two podcasts. Take shots, take shots, take shots. I don't think he's putting the ball into danger more than two or three times per game, if that's what he's referencing. But I think he should, more than two or three times per game, there are shots that are there that he should be taking that he took in the past. And so if it's, if it's just simply like two to three throws per game, I'm putting the ball in danger of getting intercepted, and I, I take away those, I'm good to go, then okay, I actually kind of get that. I kind of believe that. But if it's two to three throws per game just in general that like I'm, I'm not making the right read or I'm not making the right throw, then I disagree with that because I, I think that there are, are instances where he is checking down or he's taking the short throw, ironically enough, because we're kind of ragging on the check downs here a moment ago, where there's something bigger. And that was a, a big part of his game. He was confident to do it last year a lot of times, but so far through three games, it just hasn't quite been there. I just... I. If you have nothing I'm else, really you can concerned. move on. No, I just I'm, I'm I'm concerned. It's Oklahoma's offense requires dynamic quarterback play. It doesn't require a check down Charlie, man. If if, if that's what they needed, they would have kept Tanner Mordecai, <laughs> and they would have kept Austin Kendall. Tanner Mordecai, I, I'm dead I, serious. Ironically, I think he's having a much better statistical season right now than Spencer Rattler. Probably, yeah. I mean, definitely is. I, a lot a lot of quarterbacks are right now. Um. I don't know. Yeah, I guess where else to go with that then? If there was, you know, if, if there was one press conference to uh, to calm the nerves of Sooner fans everywhere, that ain't it. 
that was not it. Um, so I guess we'll see. I mean, it's it's perfectly it's perfectly realistic for him to come out and play well against West Virginia. Um, if he does that, it'd be the first time he does it this season. But I mean, because I, I don't I don't count Western Carolina. He couldn't push the ball down the field against Western Carolina, and so that's that's where that's where I'm getting concerned that he's got this into his head where teams up they're just going to take it away and I can't it that means it's it's away we can't throw it down the field anymore which is you know I like I said which would be news to to the last three quarterbacks of this offense and I don't know every quarterback who has been good in college football ever <laughs> all right I think that's a good transition then into talking about West Virginia because this is a a good football team and going into the season when we were doing our our big season preview and, and talking about Big 12 teams. I think West Virginia was kind of like that wild card team where we were just wondering what's going on with Neil Brown. Why is there so many guys in the transfer portal? Are they going to be? Are they going to be good? They lost a lot from their defense last year, which was the best defense in the Big 12 statistically. But it, I believe they brought in some more players. They've brought in some transfers as as they normally do. They bring in a lot of guys normally, and the offense I think was supposed to be better this season. Uh, Letty Brown is back. Obviously, Jarrett Dagey is back. I think the offensive line is pretty solid and fully transparent, guys. I have not done a lot of research on West Virginia. I, I know I said the, a couple days ago that I was excited to watch the tape of West Virginia. I lied because if I was super excited, I would have done more of it. I didn't. I watched some highlights and that's it. I, uh, I, I am not at my uh, usual level of pregame breakdown like I did last week with, ne with Nebraska and I'll be honest with you. It's the way the team has played. It's, you know, you're, you tell me that your level of practice every week, no matter who they're playing, they're going to practice the same intensity, same intensity, and we're, we're going to take a step. And I don't know. I, I know this is kind of just a line. But I, when Jeremiah Hall told me that we were going to see a big step from week two to week three last week, because that's what championship teams have to do, and then that's how Oklahoma played on Saturday against Nebraska – it just I didn't see a big step. And so it's it's tough for me then to go in and put in three hours or more of deep West Virginia X's and O's tape watching. I just it's tough for me to do that whenever it's I, the the team expectation wise has kind of come up short this year and I'd like them to play a lot better, and I hope they play a lot better against West Virginia, and then maybe that'll kind of reinvigorate me. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad they're 3-0, and and there's a long, long way to go. But for whatever reason, it just it didn't get me going this week, and that's a long way for me to say, Grant, you have all the information on West Virginia, so take it away. <laughs> well, I guess I did all the, all the heavy lifting. I, I, did, I didn't watch their, uh, their game against Long Island University or whatever that was, obviously. I just watched their two games against FBS teams, their their loss against Maryland, and then, of course, they beat uh, 15th-ranked Virginia Tech last week. And so, Lee, I, West Virginia looks a lot like they did last year. A, a lot like they did. They're, they're, they're really not super different than they were last year. Um, I think kind of the too-long didn't read on them is their defense is aggressive. They got some good athletes on their defense. I'm much more impressed by the level of athleticism on their defense than I was watching Nebraska. Their offense, though, Seth Dagey kneecaps them quite a bit with what they can do. Well, who's that? Um, he's. I believe their quarterback's name is Jarrett Dagey. Did, did, did they? Oh my gosh, Seth Dagey is the old Texas Tech quarterback. Oh my gosh, 
Jarrett Deggy, I'm so sorry. If you've been watching old Texas Tech film, this is not going to help us for this podcast. You're about as useful as me at this point. I'm I'm actually kind of scared right now. I think Seth Deggy may have been the quarterback when when Texas Tech came into Norman in 2011 and beat OU when they were the number three team in the country and undefeated. I'm so sorry, everybody, if that's just a bad omen. But no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jarrett Deggy. Jarrett Deggy is their, is their starting quarterback. And he is about as close to a statue as one can possibly get in, in, in the modern game of, of football. And also, Lee, he just doesn't have a very strong arm. He doesn't got a lot of arm talent, really, at all. If you watch him play, man, that ball hangs in the air so long. So long. And the thing, you would think, Jarrett Dagey, a guy who is, he's played a lot of college football in his life. He's played, he, he started for multiple years in the MAC. This is now his third year as the starter for West Virginia, or second full year as a starter at West Virginia. And man, the amount of terrible decisions that guy, that guy makes when he is under pressure, or at least in the, in the two of the three games that I've seen of theirs this year, it's kind of stunning. Like if when that guy is under pressure, he is not at all scared of just throwing just throwing a hail mary and seeing what happens with it. Really, he did that multiple times against Maryland. Did it multiple times against Virginia Tech. Um, West Virginia had four turnovers against uh, against Virginia Tech. He turned the ball over twice in the fourth quarter against Virginia Tech in their own territory. When they uh, one time they were up by multiple scores, the other time they were up by six. And he turned it over inside the twenty yard line, on uh, on like a little tunnel screen that was that that they had run that they've run, that tunnel screen is kind of is is one of their bread and butter plays. They ran it a ton against Maryland. They ran it a ton against Virginia Tech. And there, by the end of the game, Virginia Tech was just like, "Yeah, we're we're not going to fall for this again." And then he just he stared it down, and they picked it off. I mean, there were a ton of guys around the ball too. I mean, there was there was just nothing good that was ever going to happen there. And West Virginia's offensive line does not pass protect very well. Hmm. Uh, there are times when he does have a, 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 a uh, there are times when he does have a clean pocket, and he is able to step into his throws and he is able to kind of deliver some strikes every now and then. But when he is under presser, or pressure, he is very unimpressive. He is very bad under pressure. It's like it's you would you would hope that he because he's a statue he'd be a guy like all right I'm just going to go down and not put the ball in danger. But he thinks he can kind of run and get out of get out of trouble, and and he thinks that he's got the arm strength to to kind of throw stuff up. He's not it, man. Like he's just he's I he's the type of quarterback that OU's front looks at and they start licking their chops. And so him. what I did see though, what what I do see a lot from them though is there are a lot of of catch the ball, get it out as soon as you possibly can. There's a lot of tunnel screens. There's a lot of flat passes. They're going to flex out Letty Brown a lot to be a receiver. Uh, they did that a couple of times against Maryland where they would flex him out to uh, show man coverage against a linebacker, and then they would throw deep. They did that, uh, did that against Virginia Tech as well. Uh, presumably, they're going to do that a lot against OU because of how suspect their linebackers have been just in general. Um, they're really going to test OU's ability to tackle in space. Uh, because that really is kind of what their offense is. They, uh, there are times when they're able to throw it down the field, but they're they're on one read things that are set up, and so it's it, it's West Virginia is not going to be a team that is going to be able to throw it deep on OU really consistently at all. Um, they are going to be a dink and dunk team, and that's I, that's where you do kind of have to have to worry a bit because I do think their skill position players are are pretty solid. 
Um, go look at their numbers. They don't really have a go-to receiver. If I had to choose any of them, it would be Sam James. Um, but if you go look at their numbers, I mean, they got four guys all kind of around 10 catches and all around 150 yards receiving. Um, and they're all, so, uh, Sam James is, is kind of a bigger guy. Bryce Wheaton Ford is big. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, Winston, was it Winston? Yeah, is yeah there, Winston uh, Wright's been there, I, I think, for a while. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, Winston Wright, he, uh, he's, he had, uh, two really, uh, nice kick returns against Maryland and put him in really good positions. Uh, he's also been really good, you know, in the open field. They throw a lot of sort of bubble screens to him. And so this is going to be a game where I'm I'm assuming Alex Grinch is going to come in and say we shut down Letty Brown, we're going to and we put them behind the chains on first and second down, we're going to be in really good shape. Uh because I if I'm, you know, if I'm Neil Brown, I definitely do not trust that offensive line to protect long enough on, you know, on th- on second and long, third and long situations for Deggy to actually like scan the field and find open receivers. That's just not going to happen. So I, I I think we're really going to see a lot of screens uh, passes out, you know, passes out of the backfield. Uh, they they do do quite a bit of jet motion right before the snap. Uh, they'll they'll hand guys uh, they'll hand it off on jet sweeps. They'll do little pop passes on jet on jet sweeps. Not as much as those tunnel screens and flat passes as I saw. Um, and they'll like I said, if they feel like they have, if, if they like their look, they will sometimes take a shot. But Deggy is just not good enough to punish you with that consistently. His arm's not strong enough, and he just doesn't move well enough for that. So you say all this about Jarrett Deggy, you know, and guess what? He's averaging 8.3 yards per attempt this year. So he's pushing the ball down the field more than Spencer Rattler is. That's, uh, is that shocking to you after watching him play? And yeah, and I would say yes, they have. And it's, it, all of it is, is predetermined stuff. Um, and if it's not predetermined, it's probably because he's trying to make something happen, and it's, the chances that it's going to be a turnover are pretty high. Um, but yeah, no, he, he had one... Um, there was a there was one throw in the in the Virginia Tech game that was really impressive. Uh, it was it was about a forty yard touchdown pass, and he threw it from the opposite yeah, hash. I saw that. Made it to the end zone in the air. I mean, it, the ball hung in the air for about ten seconds. It seemed like, <laughs> but it ended up just kind of dropping. It was it ended up being almost kind of a perfect back shoulder throw. Um, you know, he's. I, I just I, I really don't think there's going to be enough time for a lot of those throws to develop against OU um one one thing that is that is consistent when you watch OU's defense in the first three games they're not always getting home there's a lot of the times they're giving up crossers over the middle because of poor linebacker coverage but they're they're getting they're getting pressure on the quarterback about 100% of the time I mean it's especially when it's not just a, a catch and throw type situation um, and that's not going to change here against West Virginia. They're going to get a lot of pressure on Daigie, which makes me think, Lee, and this brings me up to my next point, that there we may not see as much Jarrett Daigie in this game as as we typically would because a little wrinkle that they've thrown in in these last two games, and it was more so against LIU, just looking at the box score, but he would come in and, in certain situations, Virginia Tech as well, their freshman quarterback, Garrett Green, who is a runner. He is primarily a runner, and that's all he's going to do. Um, he threw against LIU. He didn't throw a single pass against Virginia Tech, uh, but he came in and sort of ran. Uh, there was there were two types of plays. There was kind of a draw play and more of a QB power play that he would run. Um, and there were a few drives where he started the drive, and uh, he would be in on first and second down, and they'd bring in Deggy for third and long. So I, you know, I just I gotta think just with how at times in the first three games how poor OU's linebackers have been. 
uh, how Alex, how since Alex Grinch has been here, how they've how they've struggled kind of with outside power with uh, at the goal line with with quarterbacks. I'm thinking we're going to see a lot more of Garrett Green in this game uh, than Virginia Tech or LIU saw, just because Daigie and his feet against this defense is a really bad combo for West Virginia. Interesting. Hey, uh, wouldn't West Virginia have to keep it somewhat close, though? Because if this guy's mainly a runner, let's say they dig themselves a hole in Oklahoma, uh, would, which would be surprising because the Sooners haven't played all that well so far this year, but... Uh, you know, if they jump out to like a three touchdown lead, uh, is that something where, I mean, obviously that's best case scenario for Oklahoma, no matter who they're playing, but is there, I mean, can't, can the guy throw from what you saw? You said he didn't throw really at all against Va Techs. I mean, is he just, yeah. he didn't, he, he didn't throw a single pass against Virginia Tech. Um, you know, he threw for 57 yards against LIU. I think I, you know, I, I wasn't really able, outside of like little three-minute highlight clips from West Virginia's yeah, yeah. athletic department, I couldn't really find anything. Um, I think I'm sure I think that game was on ESPN Plus. I could have gone back and watched it if I wanted to, but um, didn't think that was it was useful to do so. No. Um, but yeah, I mean he's a he's a quarter. He's their backup quarterback, so I'm sure he can throw a yeah. little bit. He's probably not very good at it at the college level right now. But if the defense thinks 100% that you're going to run, there's going to be some stuff there for sure. Um, it just depends on on the situational when they're going to use them. But yeah, I mean, it's, if it's if OU gets out to a twenty-one to nothing lead, which there are no signs to suggest that that's even possible at this point in time. Like, and I know that's I, I know that's that's maybe a little harsh, uh, but West Virginia's defense is good. I, I just I if if the same OU offense that we saw against Tulane and Nebraska shows up for West Virginia, they're going to struggle to they're going to struggle against West Virginia. They're they they have guys with ability. On their team, on their defense. Yeah, that's what's interesting. Um, especially in their front seven. Especially in their front seven. That's what's interesting about this situation with West Virginia having a good defense. Oklahoma didn't see them a year ago whenever they, again, were the top defense in the Big 12. Uh, who knows how the Sooners would have played against them. I'm, I'm sure you know when that game, it was a late season game. If we would have done a podcast, I think we did, even did a podcast previewing that, then it got canceled you know, in the middle of the week. Uh, I, I think we were all... They had Ramondre. They had Ramondre. Yeah, they would have been yeah, fine. Yeah, we were all pretty pretty confident Oklahoma could move the ball and it would be pretty similar to what they have done in the past against West Virginia which since Riley's been the head coach has been just dominance and credit to Oklahoma's game notes they have how Oklahoma has done in the three games against West Virginia since Riley has been there uh, 2017 18 and 19 and uh, for those at home who know Oklahoma football obviously that's Baker Mayfield Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts early in the 2019 season when he was rolling and the offense was rolling I mean, listen to these numbers. Oklahoma's averaging 56 points per game, 624 yards per game, 10.5 yards per play, 270 yards rushing, 7.3 yards per rush attempt, <laughs> 353 yards passing, uh, and that's, oh, uh, and yards per attempt, been talking about yards per attempt a lot, 15.8 yards per attempt so far uh in in uh and do you remember the um sorry go ahead i was gonna say remember the 2017 game because that was the game that uh that kyler started because baker was suspended oh, for the yeah, first series yeah. because of the crotch grab and uh i i vaguely remember and I, we can go back and listen to the podcast and figure this out and or look at the box score but i think that in terms of yards per play was the best first half in ou history 
on offense. I think they averaged close to 15 yards a play in the first half, something like that. I do remember that. Yeah, that does sound like something we, we talked about. Or that was a thing. So, yeah, I, but this is, but now, like, I don't know the difference between 2019 and 2020, but apparently the defense has gotten better for West Virginia. And now 2021, seemingly they're still, I mean, they're pretty good. So all those numbers I just rattled off about the history against uh, West Virginia, like the chances of those coming to fruition yet again in game four are incredibly low, just given the fact that West Virginia is apparently better on defense. And from what we've seen from Oklahoma uh, with you know, the last, not, not just this season, but last season, because you know in 2020, the offense was good, but it still, it wasn't good at, as good as the Mayfield offenses, the Murray offenses. And statistically the Jalen Hurts offense even though the last half of Jalen Hurts it was more comparable to that so man I that's the thing and, and if Oklahoma's offense comes out and plays really well and exceeds expectations that we've from what we've seen so far it'd be surprising it'd be a pleasant surprise right I mean I, I'm kind of just in the mode of well game to game let's see what this team has and I hope the defense can play better and get after Jarrett Deggie I hope that you're right about the fact he's a statue. Then get after him and get him to the ground and get some TFLs. But just everything about this team is, yeah, it's awesome. They're three and zero, but also, uh, you know, we're sitting around waiting for this improvement. We'll see if it comes. And uh, you know, I like their defense. I, I I just they have some they have some really good individual players on their defense. Uh, you know, uh, Dante Stills on the offensive line. Or the off the defensive line. Sorry, um, they had another. They have another guy too, as a sophomore, who I who I thought was really impressive. Sorry, I got got to look at my notes. Anyway, they're really really aggressive. They're aggressive, and so how Maryland attacked them. They did a lot. Maryland did a lot of screens, uh, a lot of outside zone against them. Maryland did take their shots against them because they did blow some coverages that Maryland did capitalize on, um, and so I thought. Maryland definitely came in with the game plan of trying to slow down their pass rush, trying to slow down the, their aggressive front six and front seven, and they had some success with it at times. Um, Virginia Tech noticed that success, and they came out with a pretty similar game plan. It just it didn't it didn't work a lot for for Virginia Tech, mainly because one Maryland just has a much better offense, and two Virginia Tech's offense is Virginia Tech's not very good. Everyone, um, and so it, it was just I this is a game for sure that uh, West Virginia is going to make Spencer Rattler beat them. I, I, I really do think that that's the case. Um, and that scares me. That's, that really, really scares me. Because I think one of the reasons why Lincoln Riley offenses have been so successful against West Virginia is I think just the way that they run the ball, their scheme matches up really well against that 3-3-5, that aggressive 3-3-5, especially with the counter, the counter plays. Get a lot of people going one way and then the ball goes the other way. You have the big hulking NFL offensive line against what is typically kind of an undersized defensive line for West Virginia. I just kind of thought that their personnel, the way that they played, sort of just fits right into the hands of Lincoln Riley. But this offense this season doesn't really have a lot of those characteristics. Hmm. Um, and I think what this, what the West Virginia defense is going to do is they are going to speed up Spencer, Spencer Rattler's internal clock. Uh, they, they sacked Burmeister, the Virginia Tech quarterback. They sacked him six times last week. And they got to him pretty consistently. Burmeister was running around a lot the entire game because he was getting flushed. Uh, they had a guy who had three sacks against him, and he should have had more. 
and he was dominating their right tackle over and over again. A linebacker, actually, kind of a sort of kind of Eric Stryker like, and or uh, yeah, Eric Stryker like in that regard. For a lot, kind of he's like 210 pounds, I think. Really quick get off off the line. Uh, what's his name? Jared Butler, I believe, is his name. Uh, three sacks last week. Almost had four. Almost had five. So I think they're gonna test OU. They're gonna test this offense a lot, and because like I. I don't think they're going to change their stripes. They're going to stay aggressive because Spencer Rattler has put on tape that if there's guys running free in the secondary, he's not going to find them. At least this year, he hasn't been. Yeah, what an interesting conversation now that I've had time to kind of think more about it and listen to you talk about West Virginia. I don't know if we've ever really talked like this on this podcast ever because we're three games, and I guess technically two because Western Carolina was, was good, I mean, offensively, but it's Western Carolina. So, but for all intents and purposes, I guess we'll, we'll go two games, you know, back-to-back games to start a season where the offense has not looked like a Lincoln-Riley offense. I mean, they're below six yards per play. <laughs> I mean, that is, it's, it's weird. So it, it's, that sucks. That sucks. That's, that's, that's not good. That's really bad. That's really bad. And so it just makes me kind of think like, I, I was going to transition into, you know, what's your gut? Because, you know, normally we do, you know, what do you think is going to happen? What do you want to see happen? You know, who's going to win? But I, I just I have no interest in doing any of that stuff today because I don't know. I don't know about this team. I don't know what we're going to get. I mean, it, I should honestly. I, I say I don't know because I kind of have like some optimism, whereas like really what I should be saying is like, oh, I, I know what we're going to get. It's probably going to be a pretty close game. <laughs> That's what if there's been two FBS games and they played two close games where they had double digit leads at one point and then gave them up. So I suppose in a way, yeah, I guess I I should feel confident that, yeah, it's probably going to be close again because Oklahoma has not displayed any ability to separate and score a lot of points against FBS opponents. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to hit on when it comes to West Virginia before we kind of get down to what we think is going to happen in this game or just the kind of final thoughts? No, I mean, I just think uh, they're really going to test OU's ability to to shed blocks on the outside and tackle, especially their secondary. I, I, I mean, I think we're going to see we're going to see so many uh, plays designed to slow OU's defense down or get them going in one way and the ball goes the other way. So, um, and like, I mean, without Woody Washington out there, that's, that's a problem sometimes, especially at the cornerback position. Um, I know Jane Davis is kind of a bulldog and he's not scared at all, but he's, he's a smaller guy going up against, they got pretty big receivers. Uh, and I'm just thinking about in terms of blocking and whatnot. So yeah, I think this is another really good test. I think, um, honestly, if you, if you kind of put a gun to my, put a gun to my head, I think Nebraska's offense is probably a little better than West Virginia's. Just because Adrian Martinez, his the, his ability with his legs, uh, just is is so much more threatening than anything that Jarrett Deggie can really do. Um, but I think they got they got more weapons than Nebraska does, for sure. Letty Brown is is great. Letty Brown's a really good player. It reminds me of Trey Sermon when you watch him. Um, and then you know I they have they have a pretty deep bench of receivers, big guys who can come in and can block and can can make a little can make a little bit happen in space. So, uh, and then when you go to the defense, like I said, I mean, I think they're just, I think they're just going to play with their hair on fire and they're going to try to get after Spencer Rattler. I think OU really needs to be able to run the ball well in this game. If, if OU can run the ball in this game, they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. Um, but I, I, I just, I, I got to think that that's, that's going to be one of their, 
one of their main focuses is, is stopping the run because what Spencer Rattler has put on tape is not scary at all. Like he just has not been dynamic whatsoever. Yeah, and that's why Oklahoma's been so good. I think you touched on this a little bit ago. Why they've been so good against West Virginia is because they've gashed them in the run game in those three games. I mean, they've absolutely put together tons of explosive rush plays over seven yards per carry. And OU ran the ball well against Nebraska. I think they're like five and a half yards, 5.6 yards per carry as a team, which is good. So it, you're right. If Oklahoma runs the ball well, they'll be fine. Uh, you know, but and the, as I say, like what, what they were missing, though, against Nebraska is aside from one Kennedy Brooks 23-yard run, you know, they, they're not getting those giant chunk run plays, those explosive chunk run plays, which historically against West Virginia, they have gotten a ton of them because of that, the way they play defense and the way Oklahoma can get blockers out to the next level and spring those running backs. And, you know, that's best case scenario is we see Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks with those chunk run plays against the West Virginia defense because it's happened in the past. But again, Spencer Rattler has not seen West Virginia's defense yet. And this defense seems to be a little bit better than it was the last time Oklahoma faced them. This is a this is a kind of an interesting matchup. Yeah, the other the, the one guy uh, on their defensive line I was struggling to come up with his name earlier is a, is Akeem Mesador. Uh, he's 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 flashed in the two games that I've watched. He's a good player along with uh, along with Darius Stills. So um, I you know I, I think this is a really good test for OU. Um, I, I this is a danger game. They can absolutely lose this game after watching them. Uh, I mean this is they're like I said I. I think West Virginia and Nebraska, in terms of like where they are in college football, are probably pretty similar quality teams. West Virginia's got better athletes on defense, though, and that it that kind of concerns me a little bit. Although I will say, West Virginia kind of is is if they are soft defending the run, they're soft in the same way that Nebraska was, whereas they're um, where it's sometimes they don't defend outside zone very well. Maryland went to that over and over again. And when Maryland had had success running the ball, it was outside zone. So we'll see. And, and OU has been running that a little bit more this year than they would in the have, or, uh, you know, than they would in the past. So, uh, I don't know. They got to run the ball. Eric Gray and Kenny Brooks are gonna have to show up. And so is the offensive line. Oh, on that note, I do want to, uh, I want to make one correction in the last podcast. We were talking about it a little bit, I did mention that they that that they had GT counter working in, in the game against Nebraska, and then you mentioned that you didn't see a whole lot of it. I went back and rewatched all their offensive snaps, and there was not a lot of GT counter. Uh, so that's my mistake. It was uh, there. There was a lot of pulling. Uh, they were just pulling single guards a lot of the time. It right. wasn't. Uh, it wasn't the GT counter. So I just kind of wanted to to issue that correction there. I made a boo boo. No, it's fine. But you know, going into the game, that's the thing that I was. I was curious to see how Oakland would play because I didn't think they'd be able to run GT counter much because so many teams have kind of figured it out and they just crashed down. And Nebraska is so aggressive on the backside that I didn't know. I didn't think Oklahoma would be able to to do it successfully if they tried it. And I'm thinking that Lincoln Riley thought the same thing because they didn't really do it much. Gabe and Teddy seem to think that uh, I think you got to take take their word for it. They seem to think that Nebraska knew every single time that OU was pulling. I mean, those. If anybody's going to know, it'd be those guys. I mean, they've been in the thick of things. So he's just yeah. Gabe is just saying. I it was just saying just how the way that the defensive linemen are reacting to certain plays. He knows that they know what the play is. Hmm. Well, that's not good. And so yeah, I mean, I yeah, I obviously, and yeah, maybe it's not. Maybe that's more evidence that OU is being really vanilla and is just kind of running whatever. But I don't know if that's the case. I mean, we I I. 
I thought on that last uh, on the last drive in the fourth quarter against Nebraska, I thought we kind of saw some new run run game wrinkles at that time. And that was also another thing from the last game I wanted to put in there is that I thought it was really encouraging how they killed clock at the end of that game, running the ball against Nebraska. Um, uh, killed almost five minutes a clock, and they put Nebraska in essentially an impossible position to drive the field to win the game or to tie the game. Yeah, and I liked after the game, and we didn't talk about this at all, but now that you mentioned the, their ability to kill the clock at the end of the game, I liked how uh, you know Riley was asked about that immediately after the game was over with, and his first thing was like, he was like disgusted. He was like, we, first of all, we, we, you should have ran it all out to begin with. So like, he was disgusted that they didn't run it all the way out, which, good. Good. I I'm glad that. he feels that way. That was good. I remember... Yeah, but I was I was really encouraged because that's been that's been that's been a Lincoln Riley problem for multiple years now is that when they need to ice a lead there at the end and and sometimes you know sometimes they're able to do it just fine uh, but there's there's too many times now where it's just like you know their bread and butter run concepts just really aren't working because the defense knows that's what they're going to run um, and so I, I I think I did see some some new stuff from them in the run game on that last drive. And that's good to see. I mean, if if Spencer Rattler's not going to be dynamic this season, obviously they're going to need that big time. All right, so Oklahoma's favored right now by 17 points. And so I was trying to think about this number. So Nebraska was a 22-point, 22-and-a-half-point dog. So they're basically saying West Virginia is five-and-a-half points better than Nebraska going into the last game. You were talking about how they're both kind of similar teams, probably maybe in college football. So that the... The, the question, this is kind of my, my gambling brain. The question is, is this an overcorrection to where, as much as this sounds insane, there's a little bit of value here on Oklahoma because they, they overcorrected so much from Oklahoma playing so close with Nebraska? Or is the, the, the point spread difference fair? Does it make sense? Uh, which I would probably be the latter because at this point you are insane in my opinion, if you're going to lay 17 points with Oklahoma against, uh, I won't say it just any FBS team, because if they were playing Kansas, obviously, well, they wouldn't be favored by 17. They'd be favored by 35. But, you know, a competent, like a good FBS team, you're going to lay more than two touchdowns with Oklahoma right now. I think you'd be insane. So anyways, that's my kind of like gambling mind thought. When you see this number, Grant, what did you think? I think if I was a gambler who wasn't attached with t- to the program, I would think you'd be getting a lot of value on yeah. OU here. Um, and a lot of the, you know, in the the analytical models, models, models say the same thing. Um, but yeah, being close to the program, you'd be insane to pick OU to cover in this game. Yeah, they haven't shown it to us yet. Uh, they, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, you know, I'm not one that gets bad feelings before games. You know, that's like. When Oklahoma's playing a team like an Alabama or, you know, like a, a really good, like, you know, Big 12 title game or that's and usually I'll watch the tape and think, OK, they're going to they're going to probably lose this game. Like, you know, the LSU game, Alabama game that will, uh, you know, f- way big time throwback. The Ohio State game from 2017, we both thought they were going to lose and they won. Uh, I rarely ever kind of, th- you know, go into these games where Oklahoma's a big underdog and think that uh, they could lose here because Oklahoma should win. And. I still think that. I mean, Oklahoma should win this football game. Uh, I can they lose? Of course they can. You're exactly right. They they can. But I, I'm still of the mind that like yeah, but they still should win these games. They they just should. Uh, but at the same time, if we're gonna play it based on the number, 
100%, I would take West Virginia and the points because I don't feel comfortable at all laying that many points with Oklahoma right now. No way. Uh, but, I, I mean, I again, Oklahoma should win this football game. I think they're going to win. Uh, I, I don't really have a bad feeling about it because there's, like, the antenna should be up for Oklahoma right now. Everybody's bad-mouthing them. They're not playing well. So if they're just not taking things seriously, that's on them. It's a huge problem if they are taking things seriously, Grant, and they're trying really hard, and they're still struggling to beat these types of teams. That just shows us that their talent level is not anywhere near where we thought it was. Hopefully this is step one to them turning it around and improving as we all have seen them in the past. Uh, but I'm not so sure that's going to happen because I think what's West Virginia team is, is a good team. They're a good football team. And yeah, we'll see. They sound like you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, you know, I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking West Virginia to cover in this game and I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be probably really similar to the Nebraska game. Um, I just, I, you know, I got to see it from Spencer Rattler. And, you know, it's it's obviously realistic that he could revert and go back to what he was last year. It's real like that could happen because we've seen it happen. Um, but we're gonna have to see it first. So I what I will say though is that this game, this is going to be the case in every Big Twelve game that they pl- that they play. The biggest mismatch in this game is OU's defensive line against their offensive line, and that will be the case for the rest of the season in every game they play. Can they leverage that enough to win the game? And can they leverage that enough? Can they win the game without being great in other areas as well? I think we're going to find out because I, I think I think this West Virginia defense knows what they're doing. I, I mean, I think they're going to, I think they're definitely going to make Spencer Rattler think back there. And I, you know, I don't think that's good right now. I think that's a that's a bad omen right now. And you talk about bad and good feelings. Um, I do get bad and good feelings before a game. I don't think there's any sort of um, any track record for how they do when I'm feeling good about a game or feeling bad about the game. But I absolutely do, you know, I can tell when a game, like as it's happening live, I can tell when the mojo's bad. And like it's, and if they don't turn stuff around, they're, they might lose the game. I started feeling that against Tulane in the third quarter. Um, I, you know, I wasn't watching live against Nebraska except on my phone. But, you know, watching that game, I never had the feeling that they were going to lose, that they were in super danger of losing that game. Um, because like I said, I, they played a lot better in that game than I think you're given credit for. I think the problem in that game was mostly Spencer Rattler. Um, and of, of the linebackers being bad in coverage is a problem too. I'm just, I, except if Spencer Rattler would have hit some of the throws he should have hit, that wouldn't have been a problem. The game would have been out of reach. So, um, I don't know if, if Spencer Rattler turns into the Spencer Rattler who played at Iowa state last year, which is still his best game as a college player, then OU's going to win this game. Probably they're probably going to cover, but we just we haven't seen it yet from them. I think the best way to best way to end this talking about bad omens and bad feelings and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> you were correct. It uh, it was Seth Daggy who beat Oklahoma in 2011 with Texas Tech. Crap. <laughs> that that would that was not intentional. In the <laughs> he threw least four bit. touchdowns. I have no even interceptions. Thought. Just absolutely torched Oklahoma. I have not even thought about Seth Daggy at all today well you did mention you did mention him the other day on our our last podcast too i uh i let you get away with it because quite honestly you made me kind of like rethink like wait a second is his name seth diggy 
Like no, oh, see that no, but it, I was like, I don't think it's oh, set, no. but I guess I, maybe maybe I mean Grant, he's pretty smart with college football. I I'm not going to correct you because maybe I'm wrong. Rest assured, <laughs> rest assured, I have a bad feeling about this game now. All right, well, hey, at least we got West Virginia plus the points. So hey, you know, even if they lose, we win. Even if they lose, we win. <laughs> uh I actually almost did a um. On Friday night last week, because I was in Colorado where, you know, sports betting is legal. And uh, I almost put an emotional hedge on the OU Nebraska. I, I, I put, or almost, I did. I put 50 bucks on Nebraska to win the game. Um, just because, you know, if OU wins, it's money well spent. And if, if they lose, then sweet. It's a nice little payday for me. Um, and then before, like about two hours before the game, I cashed out on the bet. And like, you can do that on DraftKings. And so I just got my $50 back. Um, and as soon as I did that, I started having a bad feeling. I was like, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have yeah, done that. You're crazy. That's just going to, yeah. that's just going to mess the, the mojo up. Wow. And so like, it, I'm sorry. Every, like it's, I think I have way more power over this team than <laughs> all than signs I point to that being it's, the truth. It's too yeah. bad. Like the universe, man. Uh, little did we know that the, the power that would come with this podcast when we created it, uh, a mere four years ago, four plus years ago. But you know what? With great power comes great responsibility. You know, I didn't. Uh, I didn't mention this, and I'm, I'm sure there's there's people on you know listening to this podcast who have seen a game there. But uh, Folsom Field at Colorado and CU Boulder, it's a pretty cool place to see a game. It's a pretty cool place to see a game. I thought um, it was even cooler watching. Actually, uh, the game wasn't that entertaining. It was it was kind of unwatchable for the most part. But unless you were a Gopher fan, and it was awesome. Yeah, the, go, the Gophers got a big shutout there over the Buffaloes. Uh, let's talk about the Big 12 slate. A couple teams still playing non-conference games. TCU's hosting SMU. Uh, t- so that's, that's Tanner Mordecai. That's Tanner Mordecai and Grant Calcaterra, I think. So uh, that's 11 a.m. on uh, Saturday. I still have yet to see either one of these teams play. <laughs> uh, we, didn't, we didn't talk about at all that the SMU-Louisiana take – Louisiana Tech game from last week, the Austin Kendall versus Tanner Mordecai. Oh yeah, that's right. Kendall's at. Tech, I think yeah. it was like a barn burner too. Oh, yeah, I think it was really close. Yeah, the uh, yeah SMU walked off, walk off hail mary. It was tipped and caught. Uh, so Mordecai threw the touchdown pass at the end. It was one of our plays of the week on News Nine or something. Like, yeah, we had it somewhere. Um, I again, I haven't watched TCU. TCU's laying nine. Uh, SMU can score a lot of points. I feel like I don't know. I'm not going to bet this game, but nine points. Uh, maybe SMU hasn't played anybody yet this year. Uh, Kansas is at Duke. My God, like horrible. I mean, how? I, I think Duke is terrible, and they're favored by 16 over Kansas. So what a horrible college football game that will probably be. <laughs> uh, but honestly, a couple. In, uh, Unless you're a degenerate gambler, yeah. it'll be great. Yeah, I think out of principle, you always bet against Kansas, just out of principle, because the, the Osmakers can never figure them out. They can never go too high or too low with the Jayhawks. Uh, some pretty interesting Big 12 games this week, Grant. Texas Tech's at Texas. Didn't see Casey Thompson play, but they beat up on Rice. I suppose that was probably expected. Texas is laying seven and a half. I can't imagine you saw any of that game last week because you were busy. So I, haven't, I didn't see a, a second yeah. of that game. So, I mean, Texas seven-and-a-half favorites against Texas Tech. Uh, Iowa State is at Baylor. Baylor's offense, I think, is statistically ranked pretty high randomly, but they haven't played anybody. Uh, but you know, Iowa State, as the number 14 team in the country, only laying a touchdown. I know they're on the road. 
But it kind of tells you all you need to know about Iowa State, right? Like, I don't think odds makers really trust the Cyclones at all. That's a uh, that's that's a game. Like, I kind of feel like is, is is that the same principle as the West Virginia game from last week? No, no. the The principle is the home team is favored over a ranked road team. Ah, uh, you're right. You're right. But I don't know. I guess when I look at that, I think I think sort of the average better would look at that line and think to themselves. Ah, that's that's a little low for Iowa State, right? And then whenever you think that, people who don't know anything about betting, you should go the opposite way, pretty much always. So I think I, that's definitely a Baylor pass game. I got to feel like probably. I mean, unless for some reason we think that Iowa State's offense is going to start kicking into gear. But then again, Baylor can't score. Uh, at least, well, statistically they can actually, but like. Going into the season, we kind of assume they, they can't score because their offense was supposed to be bad. Maybe it's not as bad as we think. Haven't seen Baylor play all this year. Uh, we're going to lead the other. Oh, yeah. actually, the, the West Virginia principle does apply to the, uh, the last Big 12 game we're going we're gonna to talk about, though, I think. Yeah, we're going to save it, though, for picks. Uh, K-State and Oklahoma State. Not a whole lot of games to pick from this week for our, uh, our totally pointless and losing people money pick segment that hopefully nobody takes our advice on. <laughs> Uh, because so far this year, Grant, you're not terrible. You're seven and eight. I think last week you were three and two, so you had a winning week last week. But you know, th- you're three and two. Is that really a winning week? Whenever you you factor in the vig, you know, and like the the you never really win as much as you bet. So it's almost like breaking even, depending on how much you're betting. And uh, I might as well just flip a coin because I'm terrible. I'm five and ten so far. I was two and three last week. But this is all just for fun for us to talk more about college football as a whole. Uh, that, you know, there's two kind of big games. The, the one big game, I, I didn't get Wisconsin's ranking in here. I know Wisconsin's ranked, but Notre Dame is playing Wisconsin at Soldier Field, which is kind of interesting, and Wisconsin's laying six and a half. I, I think both of these teams are kind of underperforming expectations so far. Am I crazy to think that from what you've heard or what you've watched? Yeah, you know, Notre Dame, of course, you know, went down to the Y. I think it was Florida State in overtime, and Florida State's terrible. Uh, they struggled to beat Toledo two weeks ago, and then I, you know, they played a pretty close game against Purdue last week. And I don't think Purdue's terrible, but it was a low-scoring, close. Purdue game. was supposed to be a better, and, you know, which is uh, Purdue was supposed to be better than Toledo from all the experts I listened to. Which, yeah, I don't know if that's yeah, true. And I'm sure they are. Yeah. I'm sure they are. Yeah, but I was gonna say, I mean, that's a that's an environment that Wisconsin's pretty comfortable in, yeah. But also, I think in an environment like that, right, a six and a half almost feels like too many points. Yeah, I mean, I think Notre Dame is supposed to be a team that still can score, so it depends on how confident you are on Wisconsin's defense. Uh, I, Jack Cohen. He was, oh, I, he was, it's a Jack was, Cohen revenge you know, game. Former, uh, yeah, f- yeah, former. It could be the Jack Cohen revenge game, but although he did get benched against Toledo, though. I don't know if I, I'm, I, I think he played against Purdue, but I'm not, I'm not 100% positive. But uh, that's, I mean, this is a game. Oh, sh- oh, crap, we have to pick this game. I'll take Notre Dame. I think I think six and a half is too many points. Yeah, Cohn played against uh, played against Purdue. He was not very good. He completed half of his passes and had two touchdowns. I'll take Wisconsin to win, but Notre Dame to cover. Yeah, this is tough. That's it, it. Does seem like it's too many points. I mean, Wisconsin has Wisconsin had like time off to prepare. I think they they, they only played two games, so. Maybe they have a little bit of oh, extra so they, time. They didn't play last week then. They had a bye last week then. Uh. So, and you think, I mean, and then Wisconsin was, I mean, was just extremely unlucky to lose to Penn State in week one. 
Uh, I think they, I think they had four possessions like inside Penn State's twenty with zero points. Yeah, I'll just take Wisconsin. Three or four, be, I can't remember. Yeah, I'll, as of now, I'll take Wisconsin to be different. Um, I guess I'll trust that defense. I, I don't know. I just I don't know if they can score. Uh, yeah, but at least it's not a full touchdown. Ugh. But that's not a game that I'm confident. You know, Penn in. State. Penn State moved the ball at times pretty well on Auburn, and outside of kind of a couple of big pass plays against Wisconsin, they couldn't move it at all on Wisconsin. Hmm. See, that was a good example of why this podcast sucks early in the week because by the end of the week, I was all over Penn State in that game. But on the podcast, I had Auburn plus the points. And it's all just the research I do. And, and by research, I mean, at this point, I'm just kind of listening and reading stuff because I don't have time to watch all these games. I wish I did. That would be awesome. Uh, yeah, next one. Oh, go ahead. You got something to say? I was going to say, I did... Uh I actually put real money on it last week. I, I, I did a parlay, a single game parlay. I did uh, I did Auburn on the money line and the under. And uh, I, I would have hit it if Auburn would have would have won in the end, but they did. That was a good game. That was a really good game. Yeah. So I've been to this game a couple of times in my life. Texas A&M against Arkansas at Jerry's World. I went to the 2015 and 2016 versions of this game. Let's see. 20, 2015, it would have been... That would have been Kyle Allen playing. And then 2016 was Trevor Knight for Texas A&M. And for uh, Arkansas, oh, man, am I going to get their quarterbacks right? They were, uh, man, do you remember? It, I want to say Allen. Something Allen was the last name. Brandon Allen. Brandon Allen. I think he might have been the quarterback both years, 15 and 16. And Brett Bielema was the coach for Wisconsin both times. And Kevin Sumlin, you guys don't care about any of this. This is me just reminiscing. So A&M is laying five and a half to Arkansas. Can a and I, I, I guess they played a lot better last week because they got their new quarterback in. And I, I mean, whatever. I haven't seen them play. But that score against Colorado seems alarming now after what Minnesota did to them. You've watched Minnesota, Colorado. I know you didn't watch a whole lot of that A&M Colorado game. But is there any sort of transitive property things we can take here when it comes to A&M? No. No. No, I, I really don't think so. Um, I think if I, I think you're probably looking a little too closely if you try to do that. Um, Colorado's quarterback was able to break off some kind of some bigger runs against A&M, and that was really their only offense in that game. Um, and the, and the Gophers were very very aware of that, and they just they just didn't allow it to happen. Uh, I texted you during that game once it got to the like halfway through the fourth quarter, and I said. This game is hilarious right now that I'm at. It's like halfway through the fourth quarter, and Colorado has 28 yards of offense. Yeah, <laughs> gross. And 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 the funny thing is, they don't at at uh, at that field. They don't have like any like a scoreboard that that is showing like the team stats as the game goes on. Like they have two video scoreboards, but they're just showing video on it. Um, and so I had no idea it was that terrible until like I I went on the ESPN app and I saw it. And I just like I started just busting out laughing. <laughs> like I mean, they were at the time they were averaging less than a yard per play. It was hilarious. Oh I mean, my they, god! They could not move it at all. Well, uh, real uh, super sharp handicapping here. Uh, this is a rivalry game, and uh, not a lot of points will be scored. I don't think so. I'm going to go with the underdog. I'll take the points. Arkansas plus five and a half. I don't know, man. I, that could be a stupid bet. Could be a great I'll bet. Take, I'll take Arkansas just because I, I I made the joke a few weeks ago that this is a dream season for Texas A&M, so naturally they'll lose to Arkansas. Ah. And so I'm just going to go with the bit. 
So uh, one game where you just absolutely nailed last week, and so I kind of just rode your coattails, was Michigan State-Miami. You're all over that, and Michigan State... Easy yeah. money, baby. Easy money. And I actually, I actually put, my, I put my money where my mouth was on that one. I bet $100 on the money line in that game, and I won. Ooh. That's pretty good odds, I bet, as a six-and-a-half-point dog. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, if I'm just saying, yeah, if, if Manny Diaz is a favorite, just pound the other side big time well um okay no so yeah michigan state i bring up michigan state because that's our next game and this is i mean based uh, you know on last week kind of interesting matchup michigan state's home against nebraska the spartans are laying five points and so i'm trying to think of a way to so they're saying that before <laughs> No, that, that, I can't figure this out. I was going to say before last week's game, how many points Oklahoma is better than Michigan State. That doesn't make sense. I can't do the math on that. Uh, I mean, obviously, all of us are going to want to see Nebraska play well here. We're going to want to, you know, everyone wants to see the teams Oklahoma plays, and it's tough. And Oh, man. I mean, Michigan State, are they good? Like, they must, must be pretty good this year. Can they score? Their running, back is leg- their running back's legitimately good. Uh, like wow. he's, he's dynamic. He's good. So it, there might be a betting principle here with... I think, I think Sharps are going to be on Nebraska in this That's game. what I was going to say. Like, got this team coming off this emotional blowout road win where they were underdogs. Now coming home, now as favorites against a team who pushed a top five team last week. Uh, you know, the Michigan State kind of... Now they're, they're higher than ever. Nebraska still has something to prove. Now they have another ranked team they're preparing against. They can kind of surprise them. Oh, man. But it's just... The th- but I think, the, I think the public is going to see that, and all of the dollars are going to go on Michigan State. Because I, 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 I still think the public thinks that Nebraska is bad, which is a bad take, but you man, know, I, do what you will. I just don't, I don't see Adrian Martinez playing as well, like, you know, that well two weeks in a row, though. So I... Yeah, that's kind of my. I'm I'm kind of on Mich- See, I'm on yeah, Michigan I'm, State here. Coming home, give me Nebraska just to go against you because I think I think taking Nebraska there is what is what you should do with with just kind of what the number is at. But I don't know. It does it, it does feel kind of wishful thinking that Nebraska goes in and wins after you know taking OU to the brink. That just that seems like it would be far too convenient for OU fans. Yeah. I mean, but, Michigan State, you know, they got that big road win. Now they're coming home. They want to celebrate with their fans. They want their fans to be excited. The whole thought is hopefully they're prepared for Nebraska to give their fans something to cheer about and not just be all super excited about the last game. But, hey, these are college kids, and heck, man, I, who knows? Uh, that's kind of my principle there with backing Michigan State minus five. But, uh, boy, again, I, I am not the biggest fan of uh, Mel Tucker, but maybe he's figuring it out. Good, good on him. I, I put this next game in here. Number nine, Clemson is at NC State. I put this in here just because when was the last time we could bet Clemson at just 10 points, just laying 10, like, like it gets an ACC team? It just seems so like it hadn't happened a whole lot in the last three, four years. I mean, when they're playing these ACC games, they're, I feel like they're always at least two touchdown favorites, if not more, unless they're playing like the one other ACC team that's kind of okay like last year it was north carolina but i don't think they played north carolina eh, maybe they did i don't know so i think you gotta lead i i think this game is nc state or pass hmm. um 
for as for as much as we want to bag on Spencer Rattler, DJ Ungalelele has been by orders of magnitude worse. Like he was he was bad against the F like actually his numbers were bad against the FCS team they played. And then last week against Georgia Tech, he only threw for like eighty nine yards. Yeah, and Georgia Tech is not good. I mean, they were favored by Georgia Tech is they were I mean, favored by four touchdowns, twenty eight and a half or something. Maybe maybe he was even thirty five. So there's uh, something's going on. Yeah, and I'm just, so Clemson's Clemson's offense right now is bad. Like their their offensive line is bad. Ungalelele is is bad because the offensive line is bad. Justin Ross is clearly not healthy. Um, I mean, it's Clemson maybe maybe having kind of like a 2005 OU season where it's just it's finally sort of the luck just catches up with them very interesting very interesting because yeah I in my mind I was thinking man I can only I can take Clemson and only lay 10 but there's a reason why it's only 10 Clemson it's one of the weird things about Clemson during this huge run they've been on they have not been elite on the offensive line a single time during this run and I I think eventually that, that that can catch up with you you know what the Georgia Tech game should be the red flag moment, but I'm going to give him one more time because it's just only laying ten with Clemson. I'm, I got to do it. I got to do it. And, and you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I think the sharps. Yeah, I think the sharps are like yeah, like betting principles. Clemson makes a whole lot of sense in this game, uh, but it's it's really hard to ignore how much they've struggled. Yeah, and it I mean because it's been way more than OU has. Yeah, that fan base is it, it's probably. Even worse than this, I mean, because obviously they have a loss against Georgia, who's very, very good. So it's not like they're out of the playoff run, but, uh, but yeah, but yeah, when they see when when they only beat when they only beat uh, Georgia Tech was it fourteen to eight? Yeah, I think the final. Yeah, score and Georgia was? Tech had the ball like with a chance to score. I think at the end, and, and they had to make a stop. Yeah, and when you're a Clemson fan over the last five six seasons, you're used to just absolutely taking every ACC team to the woodshed. Yeah, they're probably a little concerned right now, for sure. <laughs> Especially after they couldn't move the ball against like Furman or South Carolina State or whoever you know FCS team they played. Yeah, South Carolina State. Yeah, DJ against Georgia Tech, eighteen of twenty-five for only hundred and twenty-six yards and no touchdowns, no picks. Boy, I'm gonna pull up. So you said they can't get it down the field. Jeez, yeah, I kind of want to. Oh, I'll, I'll look it up here in a second. Uh, the last game. Uh, biggest Big 12 game of the week. Well, aside from OU's game, because that could be the biggest game of the week. It's prime time, and eh, we'll see what happens. K-State snuck into the top 25. They're number 25 now after that win over, I'm blanking, who they beat? Nevada. They beat Nevada last week. And Nevada was like a short favorite in Manhattan. And yeah, I. That was easy. That was such easy money. Yeah, I, I of course I put my money where my where my mouth was on oh, that you did. one too. Good, good for you. So, K- oh, of course, yeah. I wasn't. I, I I figured Kansas State would be able to run it down their throats, even with Will Howard. Yeah, well, they, they won that game going away, but they're playing Oklahoma State in Stillwater, and the Cowboys are laying six. And I, I want to say this opened at seven, so some money's already come in on Kansas State. And so, yeah, this is the betting principle you're talking about. You got a a, a home team who's not ranked, favored over a ranked team granted Kansas State's 25 and so I, th- I think the play is to go with the home team but man I I don't think Oklahoma State's played Kansas State well at all in Stillwater recently I remember they lost to them a couple of years ago I can't remember if it was 2017 or 2018 
Uh, and Kansas State is an underdog. I think it was 2017. Yeah. Was it 27? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, it had to have been because it can't be 2018 because it's got to be odd number of years. So, you know, 2019, K-State would have been at Oklahoma State. I'm kind of curious how that game went. But, uh, I mean, right now, like, uh, you know, Mike Gundy told me it was going to be uh, – Mike Gundy told us it was going to be a close game into the fourth quarter. So that tells me to take the points. <laughs> Thanks, Coach Gundy, for the betting advice. I liked it a lot more when it was seven, but uh, I'll still take the, take the six points. I'll take the points here, too. That was – Oklahoma State going on the road and winning at Boise State was a good win last week. That's that's a good win. That's not a. I, I I feel like if if you're a team that's about to go through kind of a rough season, that's not a game you win, or a, a game. Wait, yeah, a game you win. Yeah, it's a good win, man. But Boise State, they might be bad. They cannot run the football. They're averaging like they're like almost dead last in college football in rushing. <laughs> like they can't run the ball. Uh, I mean, Oklahoma State's offense is really bad. I mean, they cannot move the football. Yeah, they're struggling. They're definitely struggling. I, they, they were able to run the ball kind of in some in some pretty opportune times against Boise State. I watched quite oh, a okay. bit of that game. Um, guess, you mean, you mean, and so mean I mean, and it was or no Oklahoma State. Well, yeah, they had that long touchdown. Yeah, Oklahoma run. State was able to. Yep, yep. And so I, you know, I just Kansas State. We know that they're going to be one dimensional uh, with Will Howard, and I. It, Oklahoma State's defense is still good. So I, I think Oklahoma State is actually kind of an easy pick here. Looking back at 2019, and now I'm remembering, the, the last time K-State went to Stillwater, and OSU won the game by 13, and very similar situation. Oklahoma State was not ranked. K-State was. K-State was number 24. I don't know what the line was. Now I kind of want to look at that up. Okay, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Oklahoma State, so... And I, I see. I see that you wrote K State here in the script, and get, get that crap out of here. I'm not taking K State. Oh, sorry. Hold on. I'm kind of curious to see what that line was in 2019 when Oklahoma State won that game. See, I tell you though, it was if uh, if K State and OU both win this week, man, battle of four and O teams in Manhattan on October 2nd would be pretty interesting. Yeah, it would be. And I think I'm going to be there for that game. I think I'm going to Manhattan. Oh, I'm going to be there too. Sweet. Oh, how about that? That's 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 good. To know. I, I I was otherwise gonna go by myself, so that that's good to hear. I think I just found that out today. Uh, at least we're trying to figure out plans for it. Okay, this is pretty interesting. So, a few years ago, or I guess two years ago, in 2019, Oklahoma State hosted K State. K State was ranked number 24. Oklahoma State was unranked, and in that game, Oklahoma State was favored by four. So OSU was favored as an unranked team against a ranked team and covered pretty easily. They covered. They won by 13. So. We're in the almost the exact same scenario this time. Only difference is a couple of points. Oklahoma State's getting uh, has has to lay two fewer points. So yeah, I think the sharp play. You might be right. The sharp play might be Oklahoma State here. But out of principle, I'm still going to take K State because I'm just not a big fan of laying yeah, the points with, think, with uh, Oklahoma State right now. Yeah, and I just it's it's way too fresh in my head what K State looked like last year with Will Howard. I mean, which was just which was awful. They looked terrible. Um. But, you know, I mean, they still have, and of course, you know, it, it absolutely pains me to say this, Deuce Vaughn is really good. He's Deuce Vaughn's probably the best running back in the Big 12. I can't believe I just said that. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, DJ Olugalele, I hope that's how you pronounce his name, 
Any, any, any guesses on his uh, average yards per attempt so far this season? I'm a big yards per attempt guy, as you guys, if you guys have probably figured out by now. <laughs> 6.1. No. Lower. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like, is he, is he averaging less? Is it, like, is, is it a poor yards per carry number? <laughs> it'd, be a, it'd be a good yards per carry number. Five and a half. 5.7. Oh, my God. Five and a half yards per attempt. Yikes, man, man. We're playing we're playing 1980s I formation NFL football, baby. That is that is bad. Uh that is really bad. He yeah, he is not playing well. He's struggling. And like that's that's something weird's going on because I saw that guy throw for like five hundred yards and five touchdowns on the road at Notre Dame last year. And that's when Notre Dame had I, I'm blanking on the well, Freeman. Marcus Freeman is a defensive coordinator, right? Because now he's at Cincinnati. Am I crazy? Or did he go? Is he a head coach somewhere? Now I'm putting you on the spot. Sorry. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I'm not super, super intimate. My knowledge is not super intimate with, uh, with, with, with that sort of thing. Oh, no, no, no. My bad. My bad. My bad. He's currently at Notre Dame now. He was at Cincinnati last year. My mistake. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's probably the reason why Notre Dame needed to get a new defensive coordinator because this guy who's averaging five and a half yards per attempt this year and in more time absolutely torched them last year in, uh, in that game. Hey, is it? And, you know, hey, like, I, you know, obviously I've been a little more uh, in this one, you know, when you're talking about Rattler and stuff, I've been a little more negative than, than I tend to, to like to be or would like, would like to be. But uh, is there, in your mind, Lee, is there anything to just what's going on in college football right now where pretty much Georgia and Ole Miss are really the only two teams that have looked really, really good the first three weeks of the season. Uh, Michigan State, I guess you could argue, has looked really good too. Um, And I'm sure there's some other teams that aren't expected to be like national title contenders that have looked good, but Alabama has has shown their warts. Uh, Nick Saban is like really pissed with how they've been playing. Um, Like obviously Clemson is, is struggling big time. Ohio State, was struggling with Tulsa for a while. I mean, like, I think there's, you know, I out of, like, OU looks better than Ohio State and Clemson do. And I'll take that. I'll take that. I, like, if you would have told me that, you know, th- three weeks into the season, it was pretty clear that OU, like, at that point in time, was better than Ohio State and Clemson. I'd be, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, the thing is, though, I have no idea how Oklahoma would have fared against... Oregon, which Ohio State played, and how they would have fared against Georgia. I mean, would they have gotten absolutely boat raced by those teams? Because if Ohio State and against Clemson had faced Oklahoma's schedule, maybe things would be different. That's kind of the... Dude, yeah. Ohio State struggled with, with Tulsa. Yeah. Tulsa lost to an FCS team. Like, this isn't... I mean, you got, you got Clemson beating Georgia Tech by six. I think Nebraska is better than Georgia Tech. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, much better, much better. Um, and so no, I mean, I think uh, no, I, I think right now they would lose to Georgia. Um, but in that Clemson game, I mean, J T. Daniels he's has that oblique issue, and he wasn't really able to put really able to push it down the field. And OU's defensive line is going to play well against everybody. That their D line is really, really good. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I I think Georgia would struggle to get the ball downfield against OU just because of the pass rush. But I, I mean, I have no idea if Georgia could score on OU or the other way around. If OU could score on Georgia, All right, the last thing, just for fun, 
I'm looking at the top 25 right now. Here are some teams that their fan bases have to be just super pumped up right now, right? Looking at it, I mean, Georgia's one of them, sure. Uh, Oregon, the Pac-12 might be poor. I mean, we Utah's not good. Uh, Charlie Brewer's left the program now. Yeah, he left the program. Uh, yeah, how about that? Our that's one of our predictions just already already, gone. already dead. Just ter- I try to be different and just a swing and a miss. I I still think my Wisconsin pick for the Big Ten I think is still very much alive and well. And I think I I think I I almost think that Wisconsin should maybe be the betting favorite to win the Big Ten right now, just because of how lucky Penn State was to beat them. Well, speaking of the Big Ten, that my next two teams are Iowa. And Penn State have to be just super geeked up, even though Iowa can't move the football, but yet are still winning games. I don't know how they, they do that. But, I mean, Penn State's got two really good wins. I mean, Wisconsin and Auburn, maybe two, two best wins of the year. So, I mean, Penn State should probably be ranked ahead of OU at this point. I'm just saying it would be like I – th- I think I said before this season, right? Like if, 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 I ever, if we ever see OU get to the national title or win the national title, I said, I just have a feeling it's not going to be against any SEC teams. Like I, I, that's what I said. And let's just say, and I know that they do not have the look of a playoff team really at all right now, but can you imagine how pumped would you be if two of the other three teams in the playoff were Oregon and Iowa Well, <laughs> or Wisconsin, if you're an OU fan? Well, if they make the playoff at this point, that means that they've definitely gotten a lot better or the big 12 is just a, just a dumpster fire, which could be possible. I think the big 12 might be a dumpster fire. Yeah. Uh, lastly, I mean, Ole Miss fans have to be just super pumped up. I mean, Matt Corral looks really good, and their defense might be okay, which was like one of the worst ever, right? Like, what were they even like worse than like OU's twenty eighteen defense a season ago? They sure, they sure uh, were. That's oh yeah, unbelievable. And then, I mean, Arkansas fans have to be super pumped right now with Sam Pittman the way they're playing. Um, but you know, maybe Texas is bad. Who knows? And Michigan fans, how about that? Michigan's like scoring some points, but you know, maybe that'll end i don't know but this is not like i i think the last couple of years have sort of lulled people into that's just kind of how michigan has always been under harbaugh but that's just not true this is this is actually this september like this is actually what september is usually like for michigan's harbaugh teams um like they they're like michigan's harbaugh teams like they've, they've had some really good teams that blow a lot of people out and then they get blown out by ohio state or that's how it was in um what was the year they got uh, that Ohio State or like it was the they reviewed the the play on the first down and it was just like it was you could barely tell with JT Barrett was that 2017? I don't know, man. Or was that 2018? I can't remember. But that that Michigan team killed everybody until they got killed by Ohio State. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, they're scoring a lot more points than they normally score, um, but also Washington is clearly very bad. So that's like their good win. Yeah, and. And the thing is, it's their it's their run game that's scoring oh, them a lot of is points. It? Okay, and and you're not you're just you're not in a in a playoff situation. You're just not you, you got to be able to be dynamic throwing the ball. Yeah. You can't. You're not you're not going to be able to run it for 250 yards on Alabama just running it straight into a brick you wall. Might. Did you see Florida running all over them? I don't know. That's actually a good point. Florida did did kind of shove it up their butt a Florida, little bit. Florida one dimensional Emory Jones. We saw his passing ability against OU. Wasn't anything special. And their their other guy. Anthony Richardson, I think his name, he's like more of the runner. Like he's supposed to be the guy that runs more. And they were able to move the ball a lot on Alabama. Uh, um, weird. Very weird. Alabama Ole Miss is going to be really interesting. Hmm. Okay. Wow. Uh, 
A lot more national talk than I thought. Let's get out of here, Grant. College football has been electric this year. It is back and better than ever. Even though I guess the, the football hasn't actually been that great. <laughs> it's just been the, the results have been fun. And it's good to see the, the full crowd. Yeah, it's normal. It, I mean, I watched a little bit of that West Virginia Vatek game. Man, in Morgantown, they were that looked like a crazy place. That place was rocking. That place was like, rocking. Was that, that was an 11 a.m. kick? I think that was like an 11 a.m. or yeah. 1.30 or whatever yeah. kick. Yeah. The, uh, probably be pretty happy you didn't watch that game. That game was ugly, man. <laughs> and so was the Maryland, so was the Maryland West Virginia game. I think, yeah, West Virginia turned it over four times in that game. Yeah, I saw the way that Maryland pushed the ball down the field against West Virginia in that game. And I was thinking, okay, if Maryland can do this, Oklahoma should be able to do this. We'll see Saturday night. <laughs> All right, we'll be back with a uh, post West Virginia podcast. You got one more little thing you want to add, Grant? Or you, okay. I, you you kind of stepped in the microphone like you're going to crack off a little joke here to send us to the weekend. I was I was maybe thinking about doing like a water boy reference or something, and then I figured it didn't really it shouldn't fit. It didn't really fit. All right, all right. Hopefully Oklahoma totally blows us out of the water on Saturday, and we are looking uh, dumb on Sunday because that would mean that Oklahoma played a lot better than we thought. Uh, until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. <laughs>